It's the Where the Wild Things Are podcast bonus episode, full audio of one of our interviews. And this week, I uh, wanted to do something, um, talk about maybe a little bit more of some of the things of where we find the peace and the chaos. And uh, we've spent some time talking about, you know, that we're creating the image of God. We've talked about uh, the chaos that comes when you move into a new world, uh, so to speak. But I kind of want to talk about the world we're in. And I've got uh, a good friend, good, well, family really. But uh, Benny Taylor is joining me. He's a, he's a, just started up a ministry with your wife, I believe, Iron Edge Ministries. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit today about your story, which I think will help a number of our listeners. And so I wanted to just kind of just touch base with you first, you know, how in the world does a guy like you find his way into ministry? <laughs> and, and I God. say that tongue in cheek. You know that. I mean, that's a yeah. great introduction, right? No, yeah. um, go ahead and tell them a little bit about yourself too. But, but you know, I do want to start there. I mean, how do you find your way into ministry? <laughs> Man, that is that that is just the power and transformation uh, that God has has has, uh, has done. That has nothing to do with me at all. Um, as far as kind of how I I ended up here, man, it's it was really kind of God. Um, showing me the result of my choices in my past. I mean, mm -hmm. even from uh, my teenage years, going into my 20s, um, I kept coming to a crossroad. And, and I knew it was God being ever-present in my life. Um, but I kept choosing the world and not following God. And it didn't take too, too long after each of those occurrences to kind of continue to find myself in a worse place than I was before. Right. And, um, and so this happened multiple times and we're talking about, this was not an overnight transformation for me. This was, this was, I mean, well, about at a decade of transforming. So it's not like this is just something that, that was a road to Damascus for me. This was just something where God just was continually and relentlessly pursuing me as I feel he is for all of us throughout our lives. But, um, I kept saying no. And, and what happened in my life and you follow a life that is, disobedient to what God is saying, what God is calling you. I've always kind of compared my story a little bit to Jonah, especially early on. I knew God had wanted me to go one direction and doing one thing in my life, but I was refusing and I was going another direction. So what happened? A storm came and this was a storm I brought and it not only affected me, but just like Jonah, it was affecting the people in my life. So like the men on that ship with Jonah, they experienced the same storm. And so my disobedience and I think this is probably what hurts me more than anything when I think back to my life of sin, the way it was, my patterns and things that they were, is it, it didn't just hurt me. It hurt people around me really bad. So right. my 20s were fun, but what I didn't realize was I was not only destroying myself, I was destroying my future. I was destroying relationships with family and friends, and then I became very disconnected. And, um, and then later on, I, I told you this last time we talked is as a result of that years of that, I found myself in a very lonely and dark place because of what I had done. And then at that point, it was a whole, a whole nother set of issues and problems that I was fighting through. And, um, and we, you and I've talked about brokenness quite a bit yeah. and, and where God's kind of breaking us. And, and I had a, had a one night where I, that was my prayer. God break me because that's what I need. 
because I can't do it on my own. I need you to come in here and break these strongholds in my life and rebuild my life from the ground up, which is, is going to be a foundation of you. And well, man, you since know, it's interesting that you bring that up and you go through that, the Jonah story and, and not to cut you off, but you know, I find myself doing the same thing and I was yeah. raised completely different. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was raised in the church. We grew up together in some ways and uh, you know, I mean, we had our moments where, you know, we would, we'd have the sleepovers, we'd have the conversations, you know, and it was, and, and you were, you know, sometimes would come to Bible school, sometimes wouldn't, you know, it was just, but, <laughs> yep. you know, we had those um, moments together, but I've often compared myself to Jonah as well, even though I was raised in the church, raised by a minister. Um, I think something key that you mentioned is that this is an individual relationship that we all have to come to our own answer on. Yep. And even if you're raised in the world of church, you can still get swallowed up by the world. And right, uh, you, know, you, you mentioned that. So, I mean, I think a lot of the listeners we have might re resonate with that exact thing um, in the fact that, you know, all of us feel a little bit like Jonah. I think I more feel like Jonah, not so much the Jonah that's running, Obviously, I did do that for a while myself, but I more feel like the Jonah that's gone and done what God asked you to do than went and sat on the hill and waited for the destruction to happen. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I always had the expectations of what was supposed to happen with the traditions yeah. of the church. <laughs> yeah, come on to God, bring it down. Yeah, you, you said that this would happen, God, yeah. and it's not happening. And God even protected yeah. me then. And then finally, yeah. he's like, look, you know, I more feel like Jonah in the fact too, though, that the story's not over because Jonah doesn't end. Yeah. If you pay right. attention. I yeah, really yeah. feel like the fifth chapter to Jonah is us. Yeah. Amen, <laughs> in man. Some hey, ways. But, yeah. um, but no, I mean, so you find yourself in a dark place and, and this kind of leads into where we wanted to go with this and, and a lot of people, because, you know, I, me being raised in the church and not having the same experience as you did to come to where we are. I mean, both of us in ministry now, but, um, you know, everybody's story is different. So mm -hmm. to come out of the world that you came out of, I mean, I, just a few weeks ago, I God gave me a sermon on, are you normal? <laughs> Talking about whether, yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear that one. <laughs> we, yeah, I, I'll send you a link. But um, it, talking about the two different normals of the world, the, there's the non-Christian normal and the Christian normal. The non-Christian normal being that you, seek pleasure over everything else the christian mm -hmm. normal being that you find purpose in where god is directing you what he's leading you to do and and those two things there's pleasure in the purpose but it's not the same pleasure that you find in the world and 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 you mentioned that pleasure that you were quote having fun mm -hmm. but it yep. was a destructive fun and yep. i mean can you elaborate on why that is destructive uh, man, absolutely. I mean, and one of the things kind of like you just said, too, is, is, is everybody finds their, uh, finds their place in Jonah. Really, I think we all do. Uh, but we all have a story and we all have a testimony. And we, we are, I can't minister to certain people like you can because of who you are and your background and your story and vice versa. There's just different people out there that I'd be able to minister that you couldn't because of the same reasons. But uh, my wife, she grew up, she's, got a, uh, she's a pastor's daughter, grew up her whole life. And we talk about the differences in our testimony. It's, it's kind of like you and her are much more alike. And then I have my, my colorful testimony. So opposites really do attract. <laughs> in this case, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. 
So I, but uh, I don't want you to find your opposite. <laughs> no, absolutely. No. <laughs> Not now. Maybe after she's had her road to Damascus. Yeah. Uh, but, but my thing I tell my wife is, is like, listen, because we, we talk about who, who was the strongest and, and, like, and things, things like that. Because she talks about my testimony. I said, I would give anything to have your testimony because I have created so much hurt in the past and hurt so many people. And I have scars and, and leftovers that I have from, from my past that I wish it wasn't there. It, it allows me to have a, a powerful voice and testimony to talk to people that walked my road. But I said, but the strong person was you. And I'd be like, even like you, Philip, I mean, the, to you, for you guys to say no to all that took more strength than it did for me to say yes to it every time. And, or and so, the, the things that we secretly said yes to that nobody knew. There's <laughs> yeah, always yeah, that, that too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, that's definitely things that uh, there's, there's moments um, that we can really sit and look at. And I'm thinking, I knew better than to give into those situations, whereas yep. you might not have. And, and honestly, I can relate to her in that, that I would rather have your testimony because then I have an out for why I did some of the things I did. Mm. Mm. And, and it's not that I'm trying to use that yep. as an excuse. Yep. It's just yep. simply, I wouldn't have known any better. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation within the church that, you know, is it a sin if you don't know it's a sin? Well, yes, it's, a, it's still a sin. Eventually you have to repent for it but at least you didn't know going in, this is a sin and I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway because I just want to experience the world. And I mean, that's not something that we need to be doing. Uh, Honestly, at 40 years old, I can look back at it and say, absolutely not. This is, you know, going back, what what could I tell my 20 year old me? Uh, I know what you, I know that's how you (laughs) feel about your ministry for sure. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's, I would sit there and say, look, just go ahead and follow the path. Don't run. Don't pull a Jonah. Don't try to go and get swallowed up in the belly of the world. Allow yourself to to just give in because yeah. it's going to be an easier road and guilt feels a lot less in that mm-hmm. regard. But I mean, for you coming out of that, coming out of the world where you maybe you said you had notions that things were certain ways, obviously. Yeah. Those not necessarily things you've heard in the church, though. No. Um, you know, for me, it was, we've talked about this. I was in and out of church. So for me growing up, I wasn't in church, but around church. I, I knew the lingo. I knew the Christianese. I knew enough to kind of get by, but I, <laughs> I wasn't really in the church. And so, um, so as far as me early on, man, um, <laughs> my life, I didn't, I didn't take things serious. I, I took uh, uh, sin as to be something that uh, that I didn't need to fool with or deal with. I thought church was something I could just do when I got um, when I got a little older. Uh, church was going to be restrictive. I couldn't do all this and all that. I was going to come back to God. That's kind of my answer too, guys. Like God, not now, not now. I'm going to go have fun because I thought uh, Christianity to me was going to be restrictive. You know, it wasn't going to allow me to enjoy my life or have a real purpose in my life. And little did I know. It was the other way around, and so for me, um, man, my man, my story really is is like you said, the twenty-something-year-old you is is when I go back and I'm thinking about this ministry and stuff that we got going on and we're trying to start here. We can be an island a lot of times in our lives, and when you're an island, man, that leaves you wide open to 
um, to, to any, I mean, to temptation, uh, to, you know, the, to the devil coming into your life and, and wreaking havoc, playing on those desires and tempting you into things. And, and especially as men, and, and we haven't talked a whole lot on this, but I'm kind of start talking about my ministry just a little bit. The idea for me is it's tough being a man in today's world. And I know going through my 20s and, and my early 30s that a lot of men out there in the same age and the same range have been going through and experiencing the exact same things that I was, I was going through. I was throwing away my life and I was like pursuing the world. I was pursuing relationships. I was pursuing women. I was pursuing alcohol, drugs, party life. I thought that was fun and that's what needed to be. But I didn't have anyone there to instruct me or tell me different or point me in the right path. Or I didn't have the right people around me to encourage me with the word of God. And so I sit and I think about what was I missing really in my life. And that was uh, a brotherhood, really. I needed someone in my life to be the hands and feet of Jesus in my life, but I ran from those people and actually destroyed many of those relationships. So I look back now and say, what could have really benefited my life more than anything? And that was being around brothers in Christ, allowing myself to be, to be held accountable to and receive instruction and wisdom from the mouths of men who are pursuing God in a passionate way that are my age and wanting to, to do life with me, to share my burdens and to celebrate with me. And, and man, there's a lot of power in that. We're not meant to ever be alone. And so I'm in a place where I'm trying to take my story and come back and almost minister to the 20 something year old me, because there's a lot of me's out there. And in the church, we see a lot of men, they're in the church up to youth, then men disappear, and we don't hear again from men until way into the 30s or 40s. A lot of them have already are married and have kids, or they uh, have already made all their mistakes. I mean, where do we make the bulk of our mistakes as men? You know, our, our 20s and our 30s. So I want to try and get the gospel message to men in their 20s and 30s before they make the bad decisions like I did, before they turn into the Jonah, before they create the carnage, before they hurt people. And if we can do that, if we can penetrate the 20 and 30-year-old men right now with the gospel message, we're going to allow for them to grow up and be better husbands and to be better fathers. And when we, and, you know, we start getting the gospel message into the hearts of men, it gets into the home. And then all of a sudden it gets into the church. And then all of a sudden it begins to transform not just ourselves, but our community and the people around us. And I mean, we're talking full on revival. If we can get men to being back to being biblically sound men rooted in the gospel and loving one another like we're supposed to do and being transparent and open and honest and real with our story and what we're dealing with, man, we can really have a, a huge change in, in, in our world, especially in the church with men. Well, you, you say something that's interesting there, and I want to I want to touch on that for a moment, but um there's something interesting about the numbers you're giving and, you know, 80% of the church just about is probably a, a female strong basis. Yep. I mean, we yep. see that nationwide in the American yep. church, especially. Uh, but I have a couple interesting numbers here. If the child gets saved first, which sometimes parents will send their kids off to VBS for, um, for, you know, like, babysitting services or whatever it is. <laughs> um, I need a break. I mean, this is talking about the family here. 3.5% of the family gets saved if the child is saved first. 17% of the family is saved if the wife is saved first. 93% of the family mm. gets saved if the husband is saved Ooh. first. And you're talking about 
a situation where you're wanting to minister to those men who would rather pursue their own way. Yes. And, you know, and I think if we think back to Adam and Eve, Adam created, Eve created out of the rib of Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, hands it to Adam. Adam blamed Eve. Adam immediately said, you know, it was her fault. Um, I mean, Adam shouldn't have blamed Eve. Let's just be honest. Adam knew what he was eating and (laughs) he knew where it came from. Um, But he was there. You know, the reality is Adam had to come to terms with his own part of the sin. He couldn't just blame Eve for it, even though she then turned around and blamed the serpent. Everyone's looking to blame somebody else. What would you say to that 20-something guy that is looking to blame everybody else for why he's where he is? And that he's just trying to pursue his own path. I mean, um, this brings us into the conversations of the YOLOs and the you only you, know, the, you only live once, the <laughs> yeah, living yeah, my best yeah. life, and all of that stuff that's out there. I mean, those are the biggest lies that we tell the tell the kids of society today, right? Yes. Well, I, I think the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. If you stop and continue to take inventory of your home, or your whole life, take inventory of your of your life. If you Pay attention that you're always in the same place. You're always dealing with the same problems. You're always dealing with the same issues. You're always coming back to square one. Then that means that you're doing something wrong in your life. You know, you're not progressing. You're not achieving anything. You're not making much of yourself. So a lot of times is it's a reality check, man. You, you keep having all these problems. You're blaming this person and blaming that person. But what you got to do is take a moment, stop and look in the mirror and blame yourself because it's, it, it's uh there's, uh, what is it? There's one guy out there, his name, Eric Thomas. He's like, you, uh, you owe you something. Like you can't expect everybody to come and take your blame. He talked about like uh, he, his dad was, uh, wasn't in his life. His biological father wasn't in his life. He was raised by someone else. He said, I could have spent the rest of my life blaming my dad, but my dad has nothing to do with it. You know, I didn't, I don't even have to get uh, forgiveness for from him. Like, you know, I don't need to even have a conversation. He's like, what if my man had, had died or passed away? I'm just going to live the rest of my life upset because my daddy wasn't in my life. He said, no. At some point, I got to take responsibility in my own life and be my own man and pursue the things that I know that I need to pursue. And so for me, that's what it was, man. I, I was playing the blame game. I was making excuses for everything. But when it comes down to it, I was not holding myself accountable to my own standard. I could easily stop and point out everybody else, but I needed to be pointing the finger back at me. And unfortunately... I didn't have anybody pointing back at me because like you said, everybody was living the YOLO life. I was surrounded by, excuse me, just with other idiots. I was living like a, a <laughs> dummy and they were living like dummies. So what happens, man, when you got, you know, birds of a feather flock together, a bunch of dummies together going to live a dummy life. But what I needed was to stop and take inventory of my life, even look at the lives of those around you. I mean, the Bible tells you very clearly that uh, bad company corrupts morals and they had corrupted right. me, but I was corrupting them. But what do you do, man? That cycle has to break. I got to stop and make a change. And a lot of times it's, it's, you got to change the people you're with. I mean, we, I talked, I got a guy right now that I kind of trying to help disciple and he's going through some stuff. And um, I had to give him a really tough love conversation. And this is, uh, he's kind of seeing the benefit of men coming together. And that's part of what the ministry is. We're, we're, we're sharing each other. It's blowing his mind that we all have the same story. We're going through the same stuff and we can, and, and help each other. But I looked at him. I said, man, he was talking about his wife. He's actually in the midst of going through a separation. It's pretty nasty. I'll leave out the details. But um, 
He said, man, I really messed up, man. I, I, I've been, I, I jacked up my marriage and this, this and this, but I have found you guys in the midst of this. And I said, well, man, let me ask you this. I said, in the Bible, if uh, it says in there, like if, if your eye causes you to sin or if your hand causes you to sin, what do you do? You gouge it out or you cut it off because it's better to go into heaven missing a member than to go into hell with a whole body. And I looked at him. I said, listen, through this situation, your God is going to be able to work because ultimately what God wanted was you. He wanted you. And through this separation, through this divorce, I'm going to put it to you this way. That it is better for you to go <laughs> into heaven without your wife than it would have been to gone into hell with your wife. And what I meant by that was it was through this situation God has been able to change his heart. I know God is completely against the divorce and the way this is kind of unfolding. I got some things with that and I'm working through, but I said, but you've got to stop and take inventory that this has finally gotten your attention and started to bring you back to God. Had, and that's what God does. He takes all these things and works them together for good. So as bad as divorce is, God still uses your choices, your sin, your life, and makes it better because you are now with Christian brothers to change that. And I said, what would you be doing right now? if you did not have me and some of these other guys helping you right now, he said, man, I would be, cause this guy has a real bad drug past. He said, man, I'll be back in the drugs right now. And, and something, how many women I probably would have already slept with by now, if it's not for you guys. So I know that it makes a difference when men get involved in men's lives and start interceding and praying and helping and putting them into the word of God every day. And I can already see that this guy's path is changing, not because of me, but because of God working through his, 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 his own people to love on this man and do what we're called to do. And it's changing his life from what it would have been had he not chosen to come in right. and kind of interact with us. And, and really, I mean, you don't know what the next step might be. He, he finds yeah. that path and then she finds the path because of him. And, yeah. and I think that his understanding of forgiveness being changed might impact that relationship even from that point forward too. So I think, you know, where I'm going with that. And I think mm. many who are listening, if they don't, they can question us and that's fine. Um, you know, and I, and I totally understand where you're going with that. One question I do want to ask you and well, you know, with Iron Edge Ministries, you are using that, the life kind of that you had, not really, um, but you are reaching out to that 20 something you and saying, yep. okay, this is what I kind of maybe might have been interested in <laughs> if the right person said something. But what was that one thing that really opened your eyes and um, and just really pulled you out of that chaotic world where the wild things are and into a life where they're not that opened your eyes to how, how much you needed God? I mean, is there one specific moment, like almost like that, experience i mean i know you said that it was a, a, a year a few years of things but i mean what was that one moment that really got your attention and said i really need to fix this um wow uh there there is a moment yeah there's a moment there's i mean all the moment. details you can give if you don't want to that's fine too <laughs> uh well i know we long-winded that's that yeah you won't be on here for what the bread has been like a four-part series um no man um the meat and potatoes in, in my testimony, um, my own family doesn't know the full extent, like my dad and my sister, um, 
very few people are aware of some places and some things I went through and, and some things that I actually did uh, at points in my life. Um, so this is, this is going to be me being really raw and really real with about the things, uh, some things. Um, my son, um, I, I say that my son kind of saved my life in a way that God was able to really start beginning to open my eyes and realize that, hey, I've been living about me, all about me and all about me. Just a, it's a Benny fun life. And when I had this responsibility, this little, this little person, this little boy, I started to think about uh, what I needed to do as a father and as a man and, and, and a role model and how I wanted to raise him. So that what began the process. But long story short here, um, I was, um, I, I had chosen um, after my son's, uh, after my son and uh, my son's mom and I, we split up. I went home, was there actually in the mountains for a few months. I decided to come back to Charlotte because I wanted to be close to my son. Um, I was staying on a, a friend's couch as I kind of started a new job. I didn't have anywhere to go as far as a home. And for some, uh, the place I was working, man, it was a sales company. And <laughs> man, they, they, they went against everything that I felt was biblical, the way they did sales. Um, very shady place. And so I ended up walking out. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I flat out walked out the door one day because I told them that uh, their business did not align with my beliefs, and my values. And so I wasn't going to do sales the way they wanted me to do them. But I had banked on this uh, company, a sales company to bring me the money that I needed to get started and back on my feet and things like that. But long story short with that is um, I was I was actually homeless, sleeping out of my car a lot for a long time. And uh, what I did was I would jump around from one friend's house to another friend's house, but I didn't want to wear out my welcome. So sometimes I would tell one friend I was going somewhere else when I actually was, and I was going to be sleeping out of my car. And at any moment I could have went back home to the mountains, but I chose not to because I didn't want to be away from my son. So what this started was um, I was living out of my suitcase. I was sometimes taking showers at the YMCA and other places like that. Uh, I went, I began a downhill spiral with money, job, work. Um, I started to go through some custody stuff over my son and man, everything in my life was getting worse by the second. Every day I was struggling. I mean, I was, I was looking for change around the drink machines because, you know, people pull out money out of their pocket and I was looking for coins and loose change, walking even parking lots for, for loose change, get enough. And I'd hit up the dollar menu. Uh, this is when the McChickens were still actually $1. <laughs> and I remember when they bumped them up to like a dollar, nineteen dollar twenty. And I was like, wait a minute. And man, I, I hit up the dollar menu. And, uh, but the thing was my son never experienced that. What I did to not wear out my welcome was I would make people during the week think I was staying somewhere else. When I was actually in my car. So when it came to weekend, it was, it was my first time staying with them, and I had my son with me. So I would go stay with my uh, then my best friend, um, uh, Chris, and I'd stay at his place and stuff like that. Sometimes I'd get my son, and we'd go back to the mountains for the weekend, then we'd come back. And my family and everybody thinks everything's fine. They think I'm just hanging out and staying with some friends when that wasn't really the case. Well, after all these problems with job, money, and things going on, God was really working in my heart. Um, my... Uh, you know, through the so thumb is custody stuff. My uh, my son's uh, mom. Uh, you know, we had a little falling out there, and uh, it was a two week period where I wasn't able to see him because of some some reasons. And uh, this is what happened, man. Everybody knows the what's the biggest holiday of the year? What's what's the biggest family get together? Christmas. 
That's it, man. Christmas. <laughs> Thanksgiving. Man. I don't know. Our family eats every time they get together. Every so. time. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those two easy. But as far as and also when you think about the Christian aspect of it, what is Easter. you know your family and Christian and all that kind of coming together. So for, it was really it was Christmas for me. So this is what was going on. My life was falling apart. It was probably in the worst place I had ever had it, and um, I. Uh, I was told I was going to get to see my son on Christmas Day. So I, instead of driving through the mountains to visit with family, I decided to stay in Charlotte where I was staying at the time. I had a friend uh, who was out of town visiting family. Uh, they let me stay at their place. And so I was in this empty house um, all by myself. And I thought I was going to get to see my son. Well, I didn't. I ended up not being able to see my son. And because uh, I had just enough money, to, to get gas to go to the mountains. But since I stayed behind, I had, I ate some food. So I dipped into my, uh, my gas money and I was unable to drive to the mountains. So this is what happened, man. It is Christmas Eve. I've never in my life been away from my family on Christmas ever, ever at this point. And so what's I've now, what has now happened is I am alone on Christmas Eve all by myself. And I, and I started to break down this, it was later in the afternoon, later in the evening. And I said, man, uh, it's Christmas Eve. There's probably a Christmas service going on somewhere. I don't know what it was, but I was pulled and drawn into go to church. And what happened is there was a, a nearby church I had went to. They had a, found out they had a six o'clock Christmas Eve service going on. So I was like, boom, I don't know why, but God had put something in my heart to say, go here and you need to do this. And so I go in there, and I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to feel a lot better after this, right? I'm going to get my therapy session in. Bro, I got broke big time. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> so what happens when you go to Christmas or Easter functions with your family? Who's there with you? Your family. You're there with people that you haven't even seen. I mean, you know, you're, you're rolling deep. you got 10, 12 people going in there with you, right? Oh, man. I was in this. It was a big church, a real big church. I mean, this place was packed. I looked around, I looked around, I looked around. I'm the only person in this massive congregation sitting all by themselves. I see people holding their children. I see couples together. I see moms and dads. I see families just together. It's Christmas Eve service. And here I am sitting all by myself without my family for the first Christmas, without my son, without a job, with I think I had about five bucks in my pocket at the time, I'm homeless, sleeping out of my car most nights. And man, and the future wasn't looking good at all. I mm -hmm. still didn't have a job at the time. It's like, so even after I leave this service, I have nothing. So I'm in the middle of this Christmas Eve service. And that's when my literal prayer, I called out to God that night and said, I need you to break me and get me rid of everything that I've held on into my life that I thought was valuable. Strip me away of all this patterns of sin and, and me being selfish and prideful and doing Benny's life, Benny's way. God, I need you to come in right now and break me completely to the ground and make me the man you want me to be. And man, I did that that night. And ever since really that moment in time, my life has drastically been transforming for kind of, for kind of what you see now. I mean, that, that was a big moment in my life. There was a few others that followed after that, but that one night in particular, that Christmas Eve service was, was, that was a big night, man. Well, that's, that was a big night. I mean, I, you know, and, and, and I know everybody always has that one story, that one 
that one night, that one verse, that one, like there's the one thing that just constantly speaks to you when you hear yes. it, it brings all that back and puts you right back where you are. And, yep. and for me, I mean, I can remember a night where I, I, I swear I saw the hand of God move, you know, I mm. mean, it's, it's one of those things where you, uh, I mean, you, you're not broken until you've given God 30 seconds to prove to you why you need to be alive. I mean, Amen, you know, man. those moments where you're Amen. sitting there going, I, here's, Amen. here's my life on a platter, Lord. And, and if you can show me one thing in this, that's worth living for, then I'm all in. But until, <laughs> until you get to that moment, um, you know, and, and it comes at different times and different ways for different people. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. you know, so taking that, taking that opportunity and if you were to run into 22-year-old you right now and know where he's going, I mean, you were there, you experienced it, you know what was happening, mm -hmm. is that, you know, is there something you would do to, to get the word to him and say, hey, let's change who you are? Or do you think the Lord's led you where you are? Um, I mean, obviously, he protected you through some of the things yeah. that you were a part of. Yeah, you know, when it comes to that, and you st and you're talking to people, how do you help them get over the regret of maybe thinking, I did know this, and I could have avoided all of this. Well, <laughs> well, so so, I, this is what I understand too, and why I I want to really engage men and young men when we talk about being better fathers and better husbands. Um, Man, sometimes the family and the household that we grow up in is really what is going to, is who we're kind of going to find ourselves to be later in life. Our, our raising and our rearing as, a, as young men and children is really what's setting the platform to what is going to be our life. And, um, I mean, my dad, um, uh, kind of what we valued in our home and what we did in our home and what I saw was, was of most importance wasn't always what was the most godly things. I mean, let's, we'll just be honest and put it that way. I know that when I got into my late teens and early 20s, the patterns that I was living were the patterns that were laid out for me as a young person. And, and what I was taught was okay and taught what was acceptable and the certain things that were put on a, a pedestal, like uh, relationships, women. That was, that was by far the most exalted thing that I saw growing up. And so that's exactly where I found myself. And so part of my story was I didn't know better. But when we come back to like, I can't blame my dad. I can't blame the people around me. I just needed a, I just needed to, to stop and take inventory of my life at the time. But I didn't know to because I had walked away from God. I'd walked away from the good men in my life that could have put me in the right path. So the biggest problem for me is I walked away. But I didn't have anywhere to go because the church doesn't really offer a whole lot for young men especially 20 and 30, how we're natured and how we are. We, we see it as restrictive. We don't want to be around it. It's boring. It's dull. And the guys, half the guys that are in there are just weird. I don't want to be around them. They're not like me. But, man, I've seen in the men's groups that I've been leading over the recent years, we are so much alike, it's ridiculous. We, are, we got tons of men out there that are on the same page. For a lot of them, it's the same thing. They act the way they do because of the way they were raised, the way they were brought up. They have patterns that they don't know how to break. <laughs> and, and something that you said there really caught my attention for a second, and, and I've got to throw it out there because we don't realize how much we're alike 
in the church. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that you said that, I'm just going to tell those of you in the world right now, um, if you're listening to this and you need the Lord in your life, don't wait. Obviously, now's the best time. But secondly, those of you in the church, if that guy walks in the door, he's just like you. Yes. You know, the only difference is he's living it out loud. You've mm. got it stuffed in a closet because you don't want people to know who you really are. That's I can right, promise you that That's from experience right. in my own life and in the life of men in the church. They're, men are prideful. Men will hide things and they will hold on to things. And then somewhere down the road, they become broken over it. And But that just only serves to, as a, as a pastor, I can say this, it only serves to hurt the church when that day comes because then everybody that's been looking at you and seeing you as this individual you've been putting forward when that, when that second individual rears its ugly head, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the church is harmed in the process in some ways. So, you know, I mean, the reality is men are all alike. You don't want to give women credit when they say that, (laughs) but let's be honest for a minute. In some ways, men are all alike, and yeah. um, but that's because we were created by God in His yeah. image. Yeah, yeah. And You're a day. Yeah, it's a lot. It, it is a pattern. It's a a longing. I guess is the word I'm looking for. A longing to be like our Creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, taking the ministry you have, and I, I want to give just a moment to to let you shout that out about what your ministry is and you know obviously it's iron edge ministries and Mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about what you do but just give us a little quick synopsis of what it is yeah well i want i'm going to touch base on something real quick okay that that you just said um because i think i think it's really important uh because a lot of men think they have to be perfect to walk into a church they think they need to clean themselves to go into the doors of a church or even to reach out to somebody they're ashamed and i've said guys you cannot do that. And if we can encourage you in any way, shape, or form, I mean, I know you and me both, you can reach out to us. I'll be more than happy to talk to anybody that Absolutely. hears this and, and help you and try to do all that I can. But if, okay, Matt Chandler says this a lot. Now we, we both mentioned how much we like him, that if you look in the Bible, there's not really anybody in there that we consider, you know, highly, you know, guys that we would probably hire based off their resume. I right. mean, let's look at Abraham. All right. No, not Abraham. He was going to handing off his wife and saying that was his sister. I mean, Moses, he killed a man and buried him out in the sand. I mean, let's, let's talk about, you know, Paul. No, Paul's going around, you know, having Christians murdered all together. I mean, well, get David. He, David's the yeah, good one. Yeah. David, the adulterer. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, and he, and he, I mean, you had your, your boy, up, uh, you know, Uriah killed. I mean, come on guys. I mean, the Bible is filled with guys that are just I mean, that are just jacked up from the floor up. I mean, they have, they are not living a light worthy of God. And that's the whole point. God wants to come and intervene in your mess and clean you up and make you better. Because if you do this, and this is where you'll mess up, if you come back and clean yourself up, then come to church, you're already on the sandy foundation. You need to be broken as low as you can go so God can rebuild you from that point up. Right. That way, you know, when you are built up by God and the people of God, the men of God, then you know that whatever you're built on is going to stand firm. It's going to stand the fire. It's going to stand the wind, the rain, the storms. It's going to withstand that. But if you clean yourself up and then come to church, your house is going to blow down again. So don't feel like you have to get yourself together because nobody in the Bible has themselves together except for Jesus. 
We are all messed up. I mean, even his disciples. I mean, you got, you got you, Peter's denying him. Thomas is doubting him. Judas betrays him. I mean, even his own most close personal people bailed on him. I mean, of all the 12 disciples, Judas, we can't kill, kill him, but he had 11 left over. There's only one by his side at the cross. That was John. Where's the other 10? I mean, they all bailed on Jesus right there on his crucifixion. So anyway, sorry, my bad. You're good, because what's funny is you remember I mentioned to you that there was a question I wanted to ask you, and I couldn't remember what it was, but we hadn't did this anyway. That was the question, was what do you say to that man who says, <laughs> my life is too bad to walk into the church? No, nah, man, grace abounds, grace abounds. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Paul talks about it in Rome. He's talking about grace abounding, and then you, you can't outsend the cross, guys. If you think about the, the adulterous woman that was brought up, you talk about the tax collectors, which were such horrible despicable people we don't even have a word for it. we don't have a job for it i mean you can think about the nastiest politician you can think about the the nastiest mobster and combine them and you're still not a tax collector i mean they were vile people and jesus went and sat and had dinner with them he invited them in jesus's enemies were not the sinners those were the people he's reaching out to it was the pious religious elite it was the church that was persecuting jesus not the sinners he came to save the well, sinners you want to, if you want to see how he changed his life look at zacchaeus Zacchaeus yes. was a, a tax collector who climbed up in a tree just because he knew he wanted to see Christ. Jesus comes to the tree and says, come on, I'm going to your house for dinner. Yes. Goes to dinner. And what Zacchaeus do to prove to the Lord that he has changed? He gives back four times what he took. Four, four I mean, times. can you imagine how he had that much to begin with? That's another story. If you knew he's a dishonest tax collector, where did he get the four times to go back and give that back? And yes. so... You know, he gave it all. Yeah, he had to give everything up. The rich young ruler, he says, yes. give up everything yes. and follow me. And the guy walks away disappointed because he doesn't want to give up the he world. Couldn't. He couldn't. So, yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's a tale of two cities, man. And uh, so with Iron Edge Ministries, you're looking, yes, is yes. there a specific group of people you, I mean, obviously so, men. Um, yeah, so th this is the idea behind Iron Edge Ministries. So as we've kind of touched base here, I'm super passionate about the, the young men because, I, I mean, uh, in my other groups, we, I had 50-year-old had men also in our group because anybody can, can any man at any age can benefit from being together. Even my, my son who's eight, he's, he's out with his three cousins right now because he needs to have male bonding. He needs to have that time so at any age eight or 80 or whatever you need to be in a good group of men i know it's hard to find sometimes but you've got to invest in people give them time okay but iron edge ministries it's it's really kind of the idea like proverbs 27 uh, where it talks about 27 17 is iron sharpens iron so a man sharpens another man Great what works. we want to be able to do here is I want to, I've been trying to be very intentional about the way I'm wired, the way I'm designed, my passion, my zeal, the things I've done. I've always been involved in athletics and sports and powerlifting and strongman and boxing and MMA. So what can I do with the way I'm gifted and wired and my passion for Christ and to grow men? What can I do? And it hit me some, uh, a couple of months ago, or a few months ago, I, I really had a moment. I just turned everything off kind of in a, in a meditation moment and said, God, what can I do with what you've given me to help grow your kingdom? What can I do? I'm trying to be kingdom minded. And I just realized that when I'm at the gym or when I've worked out in years past, there's tons of 20 and 30 year old men. That's the bulk of the gym is young guys in their training. And the thing is, is I don't care how much you think you know someone at church. 
I bet you I know my training partner at the gym better than you know the guy from church. Why? You see the guy from church once or twice a week. And usually if it's a Sunday service, bulk of that's really listening to the sermon and the singing. You're not really well, interacting. Let's be real. At church, nobody gets comfortable with anybody. At a gym, no. they get so comfortable, they start telling stories. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I know the people at the gym better than I know the people at church or in the small groups I've been in, the Bible studies I've been in. I know them because I see them routinely and I see them daily. And so this is what I'm, I'm looking around the gym. I'm like, man, there's so many 20 and 30 year old guys here. Man, what if we could just start preaching to these guys right here, right now? What, I mean, I can, I mean, I'll do it anyway, but I might get kicked out and can't come back. But so that's where the, the idea began to develop is like, what if we had a gym, a Christian gym, a facility? It's a ministry. It's a nonprofit. It's a gym that's operating, kind of ran as a church. And what it is, you just work out, bring men in, 23-year-old guys, bring them in. It's a way to, because, I mean, if we're honest, too, look at the numbers. I mean, most people will never bring anyone to Christ in their life. Most people uh, don't share the gospel message with people over the course of a year. Most people don't really invite people to church. But guys like to work out. I've been asked a million times in my life, many, hey, can I come work out with you? Can I train with you? And I and I can almost invite anybody to come train with me. And almost 99% of them will say yes. And it's easy. It's almost like it's easier to ask you to come to the gym than come to a small group. Because we get that we get weird when we start talking about inviting people to church. Because we know there's a, a, a there's kind of a, a perception there of how people are going to receive that. Like, man, I don't know. I've done the church thing. It ain't really my thing. But man, if I, hey, bro, Let's hit up the gym tomorrow, man. It was a chest day, man. You know, or the sun's out. We got to have the guns out. Like you can just take the gym atmosphere and the gym mentality, invite people in. But when you bring them into a place that I'm, uh, that I think God's putting on my heart is a gym ministry. So when you walk in those doors, there's scripture up, there's men there to talk with you and to pray with you. There's studies going around. There's groups meeting constantly. Uh, I want there to be uh, people come in and pastors and, and people, uh, coming and ministry and giving talks. It is a gym. And so it will have, I want it to have a place that you actually want to come work out at. We'll talk about nutrition and training, but the idea is to finally start doing life. Like if you look at the book of Acts, they were doing life daily. They were breaking bread together daily. They were praying together daily and going to the temple daily. That could almost be our temple where men come together and we break bread and we pray and we do life together every single day. And you can come at any time, so you don't, you're not tied to a place, because most churches sit, sit empty most of the week. Nobody's in there uh, for, the, for the most part, or maybe, maybe uh, you know, the pastor's office. But, gym, but the, the gym could, would be going all the time, so it's, the doors are always open. There's always somebody there. And then to, to minister and share the gospel, it would be, hey, man, uh, hey, buddy, you've been wanting to talk about working out. Why don't you meet me at my gym over at Iron Edge um, you know, tomorrow about 6 o'clock or whatever. And that little does he know when you're done at 7, there's a Bible study. And if he doesn't want to go, fine. Guess what? Come back tomorrow. We're going to train again. And we're going to keep trying, keep trying, and keep trying until eventually we're going to get men that are going to step into these classes and step into these platforms and places and talks and things. And they're going to hear the gospel and it's going to take root. And they'll be in a place and atmosphere where we can continue to help harvest that and then to grow that. And so that's really kind of the idea, man, is just trying to, instead of waiting for guys to come to church and trying to figure out how we're going to minister to these today's culture, bro, let's just, let's just meet them where they are. Let's just get right. a gym, slap, you know, and, and run it like, and then too, this is the other side of it is I want to give pastors and other clergymen and people of the faith that work in there. 
an opportunity. We need you guys, especially you guys, pastors up on the front line. It's a stressful life. We need you healthy. I want you guys to come in, work out for free. And that also will give me another avenue and a way to connect people to churches because it's not just come here. This isn't the end all. My goal is to get you involved in the community because we'll be doing service through the ministry. But we also want to get you connected to a local church. So we need to get you involved. And so what I want to do is say, hey, man, you know what? Where do you live? A pastor that's over there, that church, he's in here working out on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He'd actually be in 10 minutes. Let's have a conversation. So I can start plugging men into a church because the pastors are there, the people are there, and it's easy for me to just kind of plug them in. So it's also just kind of a, the, the, the in-between of trying to bring men in, getting them familiar with it, and then plugging them into the next place. So it's like we're step one and getting them into their church is the next step that I want to lead them to. Well, dude, that's that's amazing. I haven't known you for what thirty-seven years. <laughs> how old am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know how old I am. You're, all, you know, I had to think about your age for a minute. Yeah, um, getting ready to be thirty-eight. You know, we'll go with thirty-five because there's some years we probably didn't realize it. Yeah. Um, but you know, having known you for as long as I have, and and seen you grow from where you were to where you are now the beauty of the aspect that's going on here is oh you're good man (laughs) life happens that's it's 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 the beauty of life but you know the beautiful thing about what's going on with this is the fact that uh, to see you with the smile on your face and the the love in your heart and and everything about what is taking place in you is is the thing that i've enjoyed seeing um the the passion that I've always seen you put into everything else is now going into this ministry and the things that you're doing there. And that, that is a wonderful thing. So well, thanks man. It, it, it ain't me, man. It ain't me. <laughs> that, 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 that's somebody else just working through me. I'm just glad to be part of the part of the, be part of the plan. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us again. Iron Edge Ministries, you can find it on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. We're getting some YouTube stuff going. I mean, we're we're early. We're young. Uh, with this with this great pandemic going on, we're not exactly where we want to be yet, but we're getting right. there. And so I know that you're doing. Um, I know you're doing some YouTube videos and ministry that way. Uh, you and your wife doing some of those as well. And and yep. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to look you guys up. And and if you're in the what, Charlotte area, uh, yes, South Charlotte. Yep, South Charlotte, kind of towards the Monroe area. So if you're in the Charlotte area, look for the gym eventually. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, got that's that. part of the goal. Right now it's in your gym. It's in your in your garage uh, yes. out of wooden equipment. <laughs> yes. And uh, the pandemic has really brought the carpenter out in you. It, it has, man. Hey, they say be like Jesus, man. I'm taking it, I'm taking it all the way. It, carpenter and all. It's, it's like my gym owner is a carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's but, right. But, bro, I appreciate everything and, and, and look forward to hearing more about your ministry, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in with the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast. You can join us each week. We try to get an episode up by 12 noon every Friday. We are very blessed to be able to bring this to you. Hope that you can find peace where the wild things aren't. Listen on wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow it. Click it to download so you can get the newest episodes. And again, we thank you for listening to Where the Wild Things Aren't.